0: That can make it. Amen. Got a lot out sick tonight, but glad each one of you could be here. Let's stand together if you would. Turn to page 170. Page number 170. We'll sing the first,
1: second, and last verse. Down at the cross. Page 170. Sing it out on that first verse. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. name. There to my heart was the blood applied glory to his name come to this fountain so rich and sweet cast your poor soul at the savior's feet plunge in today and be made complete glory to his name Glory to his name, there to my heart was the blood applied, glory to his name, amen. So thankful for the cross, amen. Let's go ahead and uh, start off tonight with a word
0: of prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Carr if you would pray for us as we begin tonight. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Do have a lot of things, uh, announcements, things that are going on, so pay close attention, all right? And uh, again, um, we do have quite a few out sick tonight. I know there's a lot watching on live stream and things like that, and just a lot of things coming up that we need to uh, remember that are on the calendar. First off is going to be the hayride and cookout. The all-church hayride and cookout is still happening, okay? I've had several ask. Are we still going to have that with all the sickness going around? Yes, we are, okay? So we're planning for that Friday night. Uh, I'll be out at uh, my parents old place there uh, we're gonna start uh, bus leaves at 6 30 from the church okay so if you're gonna ride the bus be here before 6 30 be ready to go and uh, we'll uh, head out there um, if you are gonna drive uh, just find me I can give you the address and tell you or text me and I can tell you how to get out there and give you the address for that um, if you are gonna drive we ask that you just park at the top of the road okay there's plenty of shoulder space to park up at the top uh, just don't pull down the driveway so Uh, Otherwise, we'll get the hay rack uh, ride boxed in down there and won't be able to get out, all right? So if you could remember to do that, that'd be great. If you did sign up uh, to bring some food, make sure that uh, if you don't remember what you signed up for, that you stop by on the way out and just remind yourself what to bring, okay? Um, uh, So please, uh, you can bring that either Friday during the day or maybe even tomorrow during the day if you want. Drop it off here, and we can take it out there. Or if you would prefer, just bring it with you Friday night when you come, all right? And we can set it all out as you uh, bring it down uh, the driveway there, we'll set everything up as you come in, all right, so keep that in mind, that's going to be this Friday night, also Sunday night, uh, the teens are having a restaurant takeover after the evening service, all right, so uh, teenagers be aware of that, and uh, parents be uh, aware of uh, the restaurant, what's that called, Brother Tim? Abelardo's, and I, I don't know where it's at, but You can ask Brother Tim. He can tell you if you don't know where it's at. But I know it's Mexican food, and I've been told it's very good, all right? So uh, plan on uh, going there, and teens be a part of that this Sunday night after the evening service. Next Friday, the 17th, is the youth rally at First Baptist Church in Mission, Kansas. Uh, So teenagers, be aware of that. And uh, if you need to know times on that of when you're leaving, things like that, get with Brother Tim. He can tell you that. Then um, the following Sunday is the nineteenth. That's our Thanksgiving banquet, and we are excited about that. Amen. Brother Frank Wood's going to be here preaching in the morning and in the afternoon service. He's a real blessing. I know you'll really enjoy him, and uh, so plan on being here. We're going to have regular services in the morning, so it'll be regular men's prayer and. And uh, uh, Sunday school time, Brother Cody Watson's going to be here. That sounds funny to say Brother Cody Watson. Anyway, he'll be here. He's going to be teaching Sunday school uh, that Sunday morning. And then Brother Frank Wood's going to be preaching uh, in the morning service. And then uh, as soon as uh, morning service is done, Uh, shortly after we'll go over and have our fellowship and food and banquet over in the gymnasium there and uh, so if you can bring side dishes for that that would be great i know we're going to have a bunch of turkeys and hams already provided and the drinks will be provided but if you can bring uh, any side dishes please do so and have those over there ready to go and desserts on uh, sunday the 19th following the banquet time, we'll come back over here for an afternoon service, all right? So it's going to be a great day in the Lord. I'm really excited about it, so be here for that. Also keep in mind that our midweek service that week of Thanksgiving the 20, is going to be on the 21st, all right? That's a Tuesday night, not a Wednesday night. If you show up Wednesday night, you're going to be here all by yourself, all right? So make sure that you're aware of that and be here for that Tuesday night service starting at 7 p.m. And then the following Wednesday, uh, the school here, Faith Baptist School, you're going to dismiss at noon, And you'll be out uh, from noon until Monday, the 27th. You'll come back to school, all right? So parents, be aware of that uh, to pick your kids up at noon. All right, let's go ahead and get our prayer list out tonight. We've got several things to go over on that. Hopefully, you did get one of those. Um, Just talking with Mrs. Bellis before service, she said Brother Chuck Bellis had his injection today. uh, But it was uh, kind of a painful ordeal today. So uh, be in prayer for him as he is home tonight. Uh, with that, um, also wanted to give you an update on Brother Roy McCray He had his uh, neck surgery yesterday, and uh, so uh, initially after the surgery, he was in a lot of pain and did not have the use of his right arm at all um, after the surgery. But uh, the the surgeon said he would probably get that motion back, and he has started to get that feeling back in his arm and is beginning to be able to use his right arm again. So praise the Lord for that. And uh, Ms. Sue said he's doing much better uh, today than he was last evening. So he's, he's improving, so that's a good thing. Um, also, if you look on the second page, at the very bottom of the, uh, the top section there, you'll see a new prayer request that's on there. It's the Dalsing family, and uh, can be made uh, public tonight, um, but they are moving to Texas. And so that's Brother Matt and Miss Shelby Dawson. They're going to be moving away, and everybody's sighing and sad. I know um, we are as well, but the job situation is moving them away. And so uh, you need to be aware of that. Um, They'll be moving, I believe, Brother Matt starts the 1st of December and his new job there. So just a few weeks down the road. And so um, Pastor said to make sure everybody knows that Matt and Shelby can move, but Kenley's staying here. So he said to make sure that everybody knew that tonight. And so... uh, we're going to miss them for sure. So um, anyway, be in prayer for them as they're preparing to move and that all goes well there. And so speaking of pastor, if you're wondering tonight, uh, he and Miss Natalie are out sick tonight. They're both at home, not doing so well. Um, Negative on the COVID test, just so you know, but just not feeling well, kind of flu-like symptoms, things like that. So be in prayer for them tonight. I know, um, I'm sure they're watching live stream and I know they're missing being here tonight. Uh, there's, There's a lot of sickness going around um, I know um, the Kennedys are out tonight. Little Josh might pray for him. Uh, he did have COVID um, and uh, is, has been home for several days, and they're not feeling too great tonight themselves. They're home with him and just others that aren't doing well. I know uh, is home tonight, not feeling too great. My mom's at home tonight, not feeling too great. So we've got several in our house and just different things going around. So be much in prayer. that uh, I, was, I, I even said tonight I feel like a lot are back from traveling and a lot are out sick, and I feel like by the 19th for the banquet we should all be here and it'll just be a great time in the Lord, so uh, hopefully everybody's uh, healthy and back for, for that time, but uh, keep the sickness in prayer if you would, and then also, uh, if you would pray for my wife, she'll be traveling back home tomorrow. She's been out of town this week on a work trip, and uh, so if you pray for her, she flies back into town tomorrow evening. Is there any other prayer requests tonight, things we can add to the prayer list, or things we can take off? Brother Ellis. Amen. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know, uh, sometimes you feel like the um, the burdens come all at once, and then a lot of times you feel like all the prayers get answered all at once too, and that's that's a blessing there. Praise the Lord that you're getting the house uh, going there. Wonderful news. Been praying for that for a while now so praise the lord and but definitely be in prayer for your wife as well that the surgery goes well you said that's next monday monday the 13th okay i'll make sure and write that down here so we can add that okay miss georgie in the back i saw you yes ma'am okay okay yeah Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Good news, bad news. Still fighting the cancer, but another trial there. So praise the Lord for that. So that's Laura Stanfield um, that is on our prayer list there. So keep her in your prayers. And then also keep Brother Raymer in your prayers for his cataract surgery tomorrow, um, that all that would go well. So, okay. Anyone else? All right, we'll go ahead and have our men come tonight, and we'll take up our offering. Good to have the teens up here with us tonight. Glad you could be here. Um, I was teasing Brother Tim a little bit earlier. I said we could just make it like a regular teen night, and when we're done, when he's done preaching, we can go play a game or uh, go to the gym or have—Miss Anna should have brought cookies for the whole class tonight, I think, but uh, uh, I don't know. I I don't know if she did that or not, but uh, anyway, it's good to have the teens up here tonight, and uh, looking forward to hearing Brother Tim preach tonight. Amen. Amen. Let me ask Brother Don Quintana, would you pray for our offerings tonight, please? Let's turn to page 305 and stand together. Page number 305. This is going to be a new song to some of you. Some of you might know it. We've not sang it uh, for quite some time. Page 305, He Set Me Free. We're going to sing all three verses
1: tonight together. Sing it out on the first. Once like a bird in prison I dwelt, no freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and listened to me, and glory to God, he set me free. He set me free, he set me free, he broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus to see, for glory to God, he set me free. Now I am climbing higher each day. Darkness of night has drifted away. My feet are planted on higher ground. And glory to God, I'm heaven-bound. He set me free. He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound my Jesus to see. For glory to God, he set me free. Goodbye to sin and things that confound. None of the world shall turn me around. Daily I'm working, I'm praying to. And glory to God, I'm going through. He set me free. He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see for glory to God. He set me free. Aren't right, you thankfully set you
0: free if you're saved tonight? Amen. Praise the Lord. Great singing. Go ahead and remain standing. Get your Bibles ready for the message tonight.
2: All right. Well, I'm sure so many of you were excited, looking forward to our last message on the book of 1 Peter, but we're not going to be in 1 Peter tonight. So, like I asked the teens every Wednesday night, what book and chapter are we going to be in? Everybody together. John chapter 2. We started a, a study through the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights. Uh, this is really my first time to preach through a gospel. I mean, I've, I've preached messages on different passages before, um, but it's, uh, you know, for me at least, it's been great uh, so far. We've seen a lot of uh, deep theological truths, uh, especially in that first chapter of John. And of course, we're going to go over some of that uh, this evening. But John chapter 2, right towards the end of the chapter, the last three verses, verse 23 It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Uh, we're going to see just this simple truth this evening that Jesus knows your heart. Uh, we can go through our entire lives, uh, uh, maybe, maybe not completely, but hidden from the rest of the world. Uh, it's been said philosophers have, have struggled with this question through the ages, that no one can ever truly understand someone else's heart no one can ever truly uh, uh, know what someone else is thinking or what decision someone else will do. I mean, there's, there's evidence we can look at and people who are astute at uh, uh, reading body language and, and knowing how people think, and you say, I know this person really well, and, and uh, you, know, you can guess what they will say, but ultimately, or what they will do even, but ultimately, in the heart of their hearts, No one ever truly knows anyone else, except God. There is no part of your heart, there is no part of your soul that is hidden from the Almighty. I think we're going to see that this evening. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you so much for your Word. I pray you'd help us as we go into this uh, passage this evening. That you'd be lifted up. That your Spirit would show up. That above all, your people. I would learn some more about you and would understand some of who you are and how much you love us, how much you care for us. So, Lord, I pray you bless the message this evening. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I had to get a bottle of water because with everybody sick, I don't really trust the glasses. So. You know, I, I, as I began looking at this passage, uh, you know, getting into chapter 2, of course, probably most of us in here know a good amount of what goes on in the Gospel of John. Most of us have heard these uh, passages preached before. Uh, we know, you know the, the famous first few verses of chapter 1 that says, "...in the beginning was the Word." And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes through all of that, and I love when it gets down to verse 14, where it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, you know, as we've gone through this with the teens, we had to, what what we really see, I mean, and, and we'll see it, I think, throughout this book, but, I mean, it starts right out with confronting us, confronting the reader, with the truth that Jesus is very God. I mean, from the beginning, I think about, uh, like, Matthew and, and uh, Luke in particular deal with the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, Matthew through uh, Joseph, as was, who was, of course, perceived to be his earthly father, and then uh, Luke, I believe, through his, the genealogy of Mary. And, of course, they're both of the tribe of Judah, and they could both trace their lines back to uh, uh, the throne of David, to, to David himself through different sons of David, and, and of course the genealogies uh, go all the way back to, uh, one of them I believe goes back to Abraham, if I remember correctly, or, or somewhere around there, and then the other one goes all the way back to Adam. And so we, that makes sense to us because we see these passages, we recognize that the Gospels are a, a uh, a, a telling of the life of Jesus Christ. So it makes sense that we would follow his genealogy, his parentage. Uh, you know, when I've been dealing with the teens lately, on, in Sunday school we've been going through Genesis, and of course Genesis has quite a bit of genealogy through it. And it's so so easy to, to kind of brush over, to breeze over those genealogies, to say, well yeah, okay, we know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and, and it becomes this this uh, 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 feeling, I guess, if you will, this, this part of us that says we just kind of look at it flippantly. and As, of course, the prophets testified against the children of Israel that they said, well, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. And, and so that's how we can tend to look at these genealogies. And yet those genealogies are there for a reason. They're important. They inform what's going on. We saw uh, in the book of Genesis how those genealogies have to deal with, the, uh, in one part, the division of nations and how God used that to bring about the promised Messiah that we're seeing this evening. Uh, We we can see through these genealogies uh, here in Matthew and in Luke that truly Jesus was and is the heir to the throne of David. But John does, has no earthly genealogy to start with there in chapter 1. But we could say this, it's his heavenly genealogy. And so we can see through, the, through chapter 1 that Jesus is, we're not going to take the time to go through all of that. Uh, you know, I, I mean, just going through the first chapter, I think we had four or five messages, and I've, I've found some other guys who had eight or ten lessons and messages just on those, you know, the first uh, chapter of the Book of John. We're not going to, certainly not going to take the time for all that. But we can see there in Chapter One how that Jesus is very God, and it's right there from the beginning. And of course, that would tie right in with John Chapter Twenty uh, later on in the book. the The key verse of John is these things were written in John Chapter Twenty and Verse Twenty One, if I remember correctly, or maybe Thirty One, that these things were written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And of course, that's the purpose of the book of John, uh, that those who are confronted with this truth, confronted with the life of Christ, would be confronted with the fact that Jesus is God. In fact, I think Pastor talked about that just this past Sunday. We get on through the first chapter there of John, and we get to uh, John the writer Uh, which would be the Apostle John writing about John the Baptist there in the first chapter, and John the Baptist's witness of Christ. And of course, John the Baptist was the forerunner that he was sent by God before Christ to prepare the way for Christ's coming, for the Messiah's coming. And we can see how the, the Pharisees come out to John. Of course, he's out in the wilderness, he's preaching and he's confronting people with their need for repentance. He's confronting people with the kingdom of God. And he's baptizing people as a symbol of their repentance. They're recognizing that they are not right with God and they need to get right with God. And so all of that's going on. The Pharisees come out to him, those from the religious leaders, and say, what are you doing out here? Now, uh, one thing you have to understand, you've got to remember here, John the Baptist was a Levite, wasn't he? His father was Zacharias ministering in the temple when the angel appeared to him to tell him that he would have a son. So, would John the Baptist really have been unknown to the religious leaders there? Probably not. He could have been one of them. He could have taken part in the fine clothing and all of the the gatherings and all of the, the debates about the law and all of that kind of stuff with all the other religious leaders, and yet John did quite the opposite. Uh, the testimony of Scripture about John the Baptist is that he was out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. That he was out there, uh, he was wearing rough clothing. Quite the opposite from what the religious leaders of the day were expected to be. So really, when we see them asking John, who, who are you? What are you doing out here? What they're really asking him is, who sent you? Maybe that's a good way to put it. It's not that they don't know him, but he's not doing things the way they expect him to do them. And I love how John the Baptist responds throughout that entire conversation. Again, we're not going to get into all that, but he responds to them constantly taking the focus off of himself and putting it onto the one who sent him. Well, who are you? What are you doing out here? I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I was just sent to prepare the way for the Lord. So all of that happens there in John chapter 1, really the first half of the chapter. And then the day comes, in fact, the very next day, I can maybe imagine the religious leaders, some of them are still there, and they come out there, and Jesus comes out too. And John, maybe in the middle of preaching, or maybe in the middle of baptizing people, in the middle of all that, stops what he is doing. I can just imagine John, in the middle of dunking someone, he sees Jesus come up, and he completely forgets, forgets about the person he's... Oh, maybe that didn't happen. But to to see John in front of this crowd of people say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In that moment, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that it was time really for his work to wind down. We see later on that John would say, He must increase, but I must decrease. And what we see in the Scriptures, in the Gospels here, is that from this point on, John began to go to the shadows because it was time for Jesus' ministry. So there, John ends up baptizing Jesus. All of that happens. The very next day then, John is standing there again, and two of his disciples were with him see that in chapter chapter 1, verse 35 and verse uh, 36. Again, he says, Behold the Lamb of God when he sees Jesus walk by. And I can just imagine John saying, kind of looking at his disciples like, Hello, he's the one you're supposed to follow now. Uh, Behold the Lamb of God. That's the one you're supposed to be his disciples now. And so then through the rest of this chapter, we see Jesus calling his first disciples. Andrew, the first thing he does is say, I've got to bring my brother. My brother has to meet this man. So there's Andrew and Simon Peter. A lot of times it only mentions by name one of these disciples of the two. Many uh, believe that the other disciple is uh, the Apostle John, uh, later you know, known as the Apostle John, who writes this book. Uh, some say, well, no, 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 it couldn't possibly have been him. Uh, you know, some would say, well, it was probably Philip. Uh, Philip is mentioned a few verses later on the next day. Um, and so some people would say, well, you, that was Philip with Andrew earlier on, and so this is the next day, and he finds Philip again and says, you need to follow me. And, and you know, that we see that Philip and Andrew are mentioned often together in the gospel. So it's possible it was. I'm not going to you know, say necessarily I... Uh, I'm not going to argue with with anybody one way or the other. I think most likely it was John that was the other unnamed apostle there, or disciple. And of course, we see throughout the Gospel of John that John doesn't name himself, uh, that he's constantly uh, just kind of keeping himself there in the background. So then Philip is called, and Nathaniel, uh, also known as Bartholomew, was called that next day. And so Jesus is calling unto him his disciples. Uh, Some of them are showing great tremendous faith from, I mean, from the outset, recognizing in these small ways that Jesus is working in their lives that he is the son of David, that he is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. And of course, Jesus answered to Nathaniel in verse 50, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And of course, we know that Nathaniel did see greater things than that. We get into chapter 2, and it's Jesus' first miracle, probably the most well-known miracles that Jesus turned the water into wine at the, at the marriage, uh, at that marriage ceremony, and so all of that happens, and the point of all of that, people say, well, why, why would it matter to Jesus about turning the water into wine, and and caring for this marriage. I mean, we don't know anything about who's getting married. Uh, is it family, or is it you know, friends, or, or you know, who in the world could it be? We don't know. It really doesn't matter, because the point of that miracle, and of course the miracles often in the Gospel of John are not called, or the, the Greek word used for those is not dunamis, like is often used in the Scriptures, but rather uh, the Greek word is translated, or can often be translated, signs. And so the miracles that Jesus does oftentimes in the Gospel of John are done on purpose as signs for people to see. And if you look down in verse 11 of chapter 2, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. Why? And his disciples believed on him. That's what the miracle was for. After this, of course, is the well-known cleansing of the temple, and we talked about this in the teen department last week, uh, how that here at the outset of his ministry, Jesus comes in and cleanses the temple, and then again later on at the end of his ministry will go in and cleanse the temple uh, right before he is uh, killed on the cross. And so Jesus comes in here, and I love how right at the very beginning of his ministry, this is you know, within a few weeks probably, or maybe a few months after his baptism, the beginning of his public ministry, from the very outset, Jesus is taking the authority that is his. Amen. That temple is his father's house. Right. That temple is his house. So we saw that in the teen department last week, how that he answered them when they said, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, The, same, the only sign that Jesus ever gave the Jews when they asked him, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, they're thinking he's talking about the temple they're standing in, but he was talking about himself, his body. And so you see even later on throughout the Gospels that they will ask Jesus for a sign and the only sign He'll give to them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Three days and three nights in the belly of the earth the Son of God would be. And He did raise it up. And again, I love in there in chapter, or verse 22, when therefore He was risen from the dead, His disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So that kind of section of the book is coming to an end here. These few verses, they kind of seem to sit on their own. Uh, You know, as I was looking at these even uh, a couple weeks ago, looking at the last half of this chapter, uh, trying to figure out how in the world do we deal with these three verses in... uh, in context of all the rest of the chapter that's happened up to this point. But when you look at it as a transition from the previous section to the next chapter, okay, so what we're going to see here is that these verses are setting up chapter 3. Of course, probably most of us have verses memorized from chapter 3. These verses here are transitioning into and setting up what is often called the Nicodemus Discourse, where this man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus by night to ask him about what he was really doing. So these three verses set that up, put it in context. What we can really see and what we'll see with Jesus in Nicodemus' life is that Jesus knows our hearts. So, if I took all the teens up here tonight, I won't embarrass them all that way, but if I brought the teens up here on this platform with me and said, okay, I have $1,000 in my wallet, and I will give it to whatever teenager wants to, will climb up, and it's not too difficult, you can get over here, I've done it before, get over on the hallway over here and you can climb up the roof, get to the very top of this building and just jump off into the front yard. Any teens that want to do that, I will give you $1,000 in my wallet tonight. Most, of, Some of the boys in particular are thinking, well, I could probably make that jump. I don't have to pay for the hospital bills anyways. I mean, that high, and when you're standing right down there kind of looking at it, it's really not too bad. Then when you get up there, it's like, eh, maybe. I'd only break my legs. But most of them are thinking, does he really have (laughs) $1,000? Would he really give me $1,000 if I were to do that? You might even be thinking, is there any scenario in which Brother Tim would be willing to give one of these teens $1,000? Well, don't you believe that I have $1,000? Well, do you have it on you, though? I mean, yeah, I'm sure you have access to $1,000 somewhere. Do you have it on you? Well, would the teens be saying that their faith in me is incomplete? You don't have total trust that I have $1,000 in my wallet right now and I will give it to whomever jumps off the building behind me? Or how about, how about I know pastors used this illustration before, but how about commercial jetliners, airplanes? They fly all over the world every single day. Anybody in here, you don't have to raise your hand, anybody scared of flying? I mean, you think about it, airplanes are... Far, I mean, statistically, are far safer than cars. I think last I heard, it was something around 40,000 people a year die in automobile accidents just in the United States uh, every year, or something like that. That might have been worldwide. I don't remember. But thousands of people die every year in automobile accidents, and the amount of people that die in air crane airplane accidents is maybe in the hundreds, maybe. And when aircraft do, uh, most airplane accidents are going to be smaller single engine planes and things like that where, you know, only a few people maybe will lose their lives if something like that happens. So, I mean, airplanes are far safer to, to ride in than cars. And it's one thing to understand that fact, but it's another thing to step onto an aircraft. And put your faith in it. It's, it's one thing to say, yeah, I trust that pilot that I've never met before in my life. And I have no idea how many hours of, of uh, uh, experience he actually has. But I'm putting my faith in the system that licenses those pilots, that makes them do training and all that kind of stuff. That's the essence of belief, isn't it? Uh, we live in a world where there are a million beliefs pulling you in every direction. And it's easy to believe in the things you see and that you're used to. It's easy to believe that a chair will hold your weight if you've sat in that chair many times before. It's easy to believe uh, and to trust maybe your parents or somebody like that that will drive you all over the place, but it maybe isn't quite so easy to believe your friend who just got their license who wants to drive all over the place with you. There are a lot of things that are easy to believe in and there are a lot of things that are hard to believe in. There are even Portions of Christianity that promote easy believism. That a simple assent to the truth of the gospel is enough to save you. That all you have to do is have a head knowledge and you are saved. But that head knowledge does not stand in, cannot stand in for heart knowledge. And I think that's what we're going to see this evening. So look down there at verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, Many believed in his name when he saw the miracles, or when they saw the miracles which he did. Okay, so remember what's going on here. They're in Jerusalem preparing for the, fast, uh, the Passover. I, I meant to talk about that in the, as I was going through the rest of this early on. I kind of skipped over that part. So they're in, the, in, the, in Jerusalem. Jesus and the disciples have come to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover uh, and to observe all the, uh, everything that goes on during that week. And of course, that's when Jesus came into the temple and cleansed it. So, all of that's going on. They're preparing for the fast over. Uh, in fact, it even says in the feast day, the day comes, and Jesus, starting from that cleansing of the temple, has really begun to build a following. He made a name for himself real quick. Most scholars believe that this particular stay in Jerusalem was about nine days. Uh, so during this nine-day trip was really when he began to work miracles among the people. Uh, it says, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Now we don't know exactly what those miracles were, probably in line with just about all the other miracles in the Gospels. Uh, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, uh, helping the lame to walk. Uh, maybe even he was casting out demons. Demons. But after the clear authority he displayed in kicking the profiteers out of the temple, people began to pay attention to him. In that short period, people recognized there was something far different about this man. Now, you got to remember the Jews knew all about the prophets, didn't they? I mean that's so integral to their religion, to Judaism. The prophets, they all knew the accounts of the prophets growing up. They knew about Moses and Elijah and Isaiah, Samuel, many, many more prophets. Many of them had those accounts committed to heart. They could tell you, probably most of us who've grown up in church here today could tell you all of the Bible stories about the various prophets And to a people so inundated with prophets and prophecy, they had the Old Testament scriptures, they had the major and the minor prophets and all of that. Not one of them had ever seen one until John the Baptist. The Word of God had been silent for some 400 years. There were plenty of rabbis and teachers, but none who could truly claim to be prophets sent from God. Oh, there probably were some, prof- some false prophets along the way. But then John the Baptist showed up. Except he didn't really fit their image of a prophet. They saw the religious leaders in fine clothing and nice houses, but that's not how John operated. And you might say, well, the Old Testament prophets often weren't in fine clothing and nice houses. True, but these people also knew that prophets performed miracles and helped the people win victory over their enemies, none of which was true of John the Baptist. We have no recorded miracles from John. Uh, He didn't go with them to battle. He didn't uh, proclaim the word of the Lord, whether good or bad, in a particular scenario uh, as far as they were needing to defeat an enemy or something like that. but John the Baptist was certainly different because he prophesied of the one who was coming soon. And then he showed up. Here was this Jesus performing miracles, exercising divine authority in the temple, preaching and teaching the truth of God's word, And they knew, they could tell right off, based on everything they were seeing, the Messiah was here. This was the man that we're going to put our faith in. This is the man that we're going to rally behind. The only problem was that they had the wrong image of the Messiah. They saw him conquering the Romans and bringing them political and religious freedom. They saw him setting up a grand earthly kingdom that would never be toppled. That's why they were so concerned with signs and wonders. So they professed belief in Him based on what they had seen. They just knew that these miracles were just the beginning. The great things would be coming soon enough. But Jesus didn't return the favor. Look in verse 24. But Jesus did not commit Himself unto them. So the Greek word translated believed in verse 23. So when it says that uh, when they, uh, they, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, that same Greek word is uh, translated commit there in verse 24. Uh, when Je- but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. So while they were professing belief in him, he didn't believe in them. Why in the world, I mean, if that is why he's here, would he not accept their belief? Why would he not commit himself unto them? Well, pastor just talked this past Sunday morning about how the gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to show the truth, uh, to show people the truth and so that they would believe in him yet he would not do the same in return. In other words, he looked at their professions of belief and essentially rejected them. Why? We'll look at the end of verse 24. Because he knew all men. Jesus rejected their professions because he knew what was actually in their hearts. This right here is another proof that Jesus is God. Only God can know what's in a person's heart. Throughout the Old Testament, even in the Psalms and other places, we see that God is the one and the only one who can search our hearts. Jesus didn't accept their commitment to Him. I would submit because He knew it wasn't true faith. He knew that their professions were based on the excitement of the occasion. He knew their professions were based simply on seeing the miracles which he did. He knew that they had expectations of physical needs being met. We'll see later on in chapter 6 how that Jesus fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fishes. And shortly after that, he had amassed amassed this throng of people who were willing to uh, follow him to the ends of the earth. In fact, they were wanting to make him king, and he had to disappear from them. But by the end of chapter 6, they're all leaving him, or many of them, because it wasn't true belief. They wanted him to do what they wanted. They wanted to believe in Him so that He would meet their physical needs. But when He confronts them with their need for spiritual food, they left real quick. And I love that first phrase of verse 25, And needed not that any should testify of man. What does that even mean? I, I, I thought about this, this phrase in particular, and as you're reading through different uh. uh commentators and things like that a lot of them just kind of brush over this phrase uh you know uh, mostly it's just like well yeah this goes right along with everything else but but what does it really mean when it says and needed not that any that would have to do with any people should testify of man okay so what he's saying here is that jesus did not need that any people any men should testify of men what well think about it this way they were testifying of themselves so when it says in verse 23 that many believed in his name that's the people testifying of themselves they were outwardly loudly professing to believe in jesus They would be the ones coming up to him, maybe weaseling their way through the crowd so they could make sure to personally tell Jesus themselves that they're a great follower. Jesus, I believe in you, I love the miracles you've done, and I'm with you to the end. Uh, Have you ever noticed after a big preaching meeting... Uh, especially you know the, with the teens, we go to youth rallies and, and uh, of course, youth con and things like that. You know I noticed this in particular in uh, you know several years there, of course in Bible college, a lot of uh, preaching meetings, things like that to go to. Uh, the preachers tend to be surrounded after the meeting, after the preaching service, by people trying to talk to them. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But there are some people who are trying to get to them, not to discuss a spiritual matter, uh, not to you know, meet up and chat with an old friend or anything like that, but there are some who are trying to get to them so they can try to convince this preacher of how spiritual they themselves are. Uh, maybe they're really, and, and unfortunately there are, there are guys, there are even some, uh, fortunately, I believe in our circles, very, very few, but there are some who are really just trying to get their name out there and have this well-known preacher remember them. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Uh, maybe they're wanting to tell of some, uh, some great thing they did recently, and they want this preacher to give them an attaboy, and they can feel more spiritual about it. I mean, I don't ever want to to, to look down or talk down at people who are, who are trying to uh, talk to these preachers because certainly uh, those men who are proclaiming the word of God have had impacts in people's lives and there are uh, uh, people who want to meet with them and talk to them and tell them the great things that God has done in them and for them. But there are some who are really just looking to get their name out there, who want other people to be impressed by them. Jesus didn't need them to testify of themselves or anyone else. He didn't need Peter or Andrew to vouch for someone. No, he didn't need one of the disciples to bring somebody up here and say, we really think that this guy should be one of us too, and we're going to vouch for him. Jesus didn't need that. He didn't need the religious leaders to tell him how spiritual anyone, uh, anyone else was. Now, later on, we're going to see how the, the, uh, uh, the centurion is trying to get Jesus to heal his daughter. And so the other people come up and say, you need to help this guy. Think, this is all the great stuff he's done for our city and for our people. And, and these are all the ways he's helped out. And Jesus basically said, none of that matters. He already knew what was in their hearts. And to these people, the vast majority of them, he knew their wickedness. He knew the professions of faith they were making wouldn't stand the test. He knew once the physical benefits were over, they would be gone. Can I tell you the same thing happens today? Every single one of us is subject to the same human nature. You can grow up in church. You can be here every service. You can be involved in every activity, every ministry. And you can still enter into eternity as lost as the atheist who spent his life hating God. Jesus knows your heart. There are those even in in this room tonight who maybe spent years of their lives doing everything right and yet finally coming to the knowledge, coming to the realization, being confronted with the fact that they hadn't actually put their faith in Jesus. I grew up in this church. I was only a year old when we moved here and joined Faith Baptist Church. In the time that I've been here from, from August of 1990 until today, I mean, I've seen hundreds of people come in and out of this church, come through this building. I was a bus captain as a teenager. Many of you remember those years in the mid and late 2000s where, where our buses were packed out every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night and we, were, we had kids hanging out the side of the bus and those were great times. We could have 30 or 40 or 50 kids on a bus on a Sunday or a Wednesday. I mean, I'm telling you, that bus was my life in high school. That's about all, that all I cared about. I put so much work into getting those kids to ride the bus. I sang in the choir, did all the activities for camp. I was what probably most would consider a pillar of the youth group, and I was lost through all of it. My first year of Bible college, after about that first week when it kind of feels like you're at camp again and maybe you're seeing some friends you knew growing up, from camp, growing up from camp and things like that, after about that first week, my first year of Bible college was torture. There was such Holy Spirit conviction in my heart. It was hard to sleep sometimes. There was such guilt, such a weight on me. And finally and and I, I tried everything I could. I tried to read more more of my Bible and I tried to read more spiritual books and things like that. I tried to be what I thought was spiritual. And finally, as my sophomore year of college was starting, I really began to truly seek the Lord. I was pulled back on campus right at the beginning of the year, before hardly any other students were on campus. And as soon as I pulled back on campus, all of that weight and that guilt and that shame just came rushing back. And finally, I just said, Lord, I don't know. The, the truth that I had been circling around, that I had been avoiding, that I had... Uh, uh, been looking back to things that had happened that I don't even remember had happened many years previously, looking back to things that were uh, to be an anchor to say, well, no, I'm, I'm saved. I'm trusted the Lord. I did this when I was five years old, or I did uh, this other thing when I was a little bit older than that, or I, I've always been in church, and I'm, you know, I've, I've got, I was the guy who knew all the Bible trivia in the youth department. And I finally just had to fall on my knees before God and say, Lord, I don't know. Show me. And He did. August nineteenth, two 2008. I called on the Lord and He saved me. And all of the work I had done up to that point had not gotten me one inch closer to heaven. If I had died before then, I would have split hell wide open. But when I recognized that I truly needed to have a heart faith in Christ, He saved me. All the knowledge in my head was worthless. Only genuine faith in His finished work would save me. And from that moment on, that's the only thing that has saved me. And when I committed to Him, He committed to me. I don't mean to get anyone to doubt their salvation, but you cannot depend on maybe so, or I hope so, or or I've been in this church my whole life, or I ride the bus here, or my parents are here, or... Or, or my my dad was a deacon or my dad was the pastor or or I'm a you know I grew up a, I was a missionary kid or whatever the case may be you have to understand in your heart your need for a savior you can know that you've been saved You can know that you're headed to spend eternity with God, and if there is any doubt, you'd better get it settled. I can't settle it for you either. You, and only you, can seek God about your salvation. Now, you can meet with somebody, there's plenty of people here that would love to, if you say, well, I just don't know, I'm not sure... Uh, 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 You know, there's doubt here. There's, I feel, conviction that I just can't seem to get away from. I feel this weight. There's people here that would love to talk to you, that can show you from the Scripture what God says about being saved and what God says about the security of our souls when we've put our faith in Christ. But faith based on the excitement, the hype, won't get you into heaven. Well, I remember the good old days when we had nine buses out here and we were picking up hundreds of kids. Well, that's great. But being involved in the, in the heyday, if you will, won't get you to heaven. I think too often we look at, at what might be termed heydays, what might be termed those times that, that it seems like God is really working and it seems like everything's going great. But you know what? That's not just the only time when God shows up. That's not the only time when God works. Well, I remember then, I think of the, when the, the temple was built, when Zerubbabel built the second temple, the old men cried. Uh, we remember the old temple. We remember how great it was. This thing pales in comparison and how wrong they were because, yeah, it didn't have the same majesty maybe that the first one did, but God put His blessing on that temple. It was what they could do for God and what God used them to do So all the works, all the hype, all the excitement, all the things going on won't give you any extra spirituality. It won't make a lack of faith last longer. You need to genuinely commit to Christ. You need to recognize that His and only His work on the cross, when He died, when he took our sin upon him, he already bore the punishment for our sin on the cross. And only a commitment to that truth will save you. And when you seek him, he will be found. You say, well, they were proclaiming their faith in him, but they weren't really seeking him, they wanted the benefits. They wanted the, the, the religious and political freedom. They wanted the good things that He was bringing them. But you know, God never promised to the Christian that He would make everything go great for us. He did promise to be with us, though. He didn't commit Himself to them because He knew what was in their hearts. And He knows what's in your heart and if you are willing to genuinely seek him and genuinely commit yourself to him, he will commit himself to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much.